This week on the Recruitment Flex, according to Elon Musk, working from home is morally wrong. The CIA leverages recruitment marketing to recruit spies from Russia. And the majority of recruiters are cool with working with bad ATS. And Karens are trying to get in front of the line for diversity initiatives. The Recruitment Flex starts after this message from AppCast. Shelly, you know how much I love programmatic advertising for recruitment. It saves so much time and effort in trying to figure out where I can get maximum exposure and value in advertising my jobs. Yeah, for sure. It is a game changer. And you know who I love too is AppCast. They are the leading programmatic job advertising platform that helps you reach the right candidates fast. Definitely. AppCast advanced targeting and real-time optimization technologies make sure that your job ads are seen by the most qualified candidate. Plus, they have a team of experts that's always there to support you and make sure you get the best results. It's so true, right? AppCast has just got the nicest people on staff. They're just a pleasure to work with. And tracking your job's performance in real-time is the other big plus. Being able to see exactly what's happening, what's driving the applications, where they're coming for. And at the end of the day, it's about making hires. And where else can you expand your reach across 30,000 sites? Your candidates are everywhere online with AppCast. Your jobs will be too. So check them out at appcast.io. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, you look like you had a long weekend and you're all energized and relaxed. Yes, the Victoria Day long weekend is a classic. I think something everybody looks forward to. You know, for me, it wasn't as fun as I would hope it would be. Why not? Let me explain. Serge, do you remember your first girlfriend and how it felt when you broke up? It was horrendous. Yes. Yeah. So Did you break up with anyone, Shelly? <laughs> it wasn't me. But to watch one of your kids go through it is so hard that I'll never forget the first time I was in love. And when that relationship ended, I think I cried for three or four days. I remember not even wanting to get out of bed. I'm trying to remember, like, where was my mom? Other than she just didn't know what to do with me. Like I was just beside myself. Yeah. I, I have three daughters that are going to experience breakups and yeah. it's hopefully a long time from now, but any advice of dealing with a kid that's dealing with a breakup? They're no longer kids at this point. I wish I knew, Serge. I would disappear for 15 minutes and come back with a Oreo blizzard. So chocolate, ice cream, chips, just snack food. I don't even know what to say, but I know for... My oldest son, he was with his girlfriend for five years, first love for both of them. And when they broke up, oh my gosh, I don't think he smiled for six months. It hits guys equally as hard. They're young. 
they'll fall in love with someone else. You're young, you're going to meet tons of other people. You're 18 and you change a lot from say 18 to 25. What you look for in a partner at that age is going to be different as you grow. And also like you're young, you're probably going to grow apart. There's very few relationships, or maybe I'm wrong there, that are born out of 17, 18 and 40 years are still together, especially in this generation. I think it was a lot more common, obviously, when our parents or even when we were younger, but I think it's really rare. So give it a week. She'll be in a better spot. Oh, no, no. It's already been two weeks. Okay. Well, give it a month. Give give it a month. Let's move on. I want to jump into the news. And last week, our friend Elon Musk had an interview and there was a lot of interesting tidbits. And Shelly, you know, you're probably sick of me talking about Elon, but I just find him fascinating. And one of the things that he said that has created a lot of attention is he feels that people working from home is actually morally wrong. And the argument that he uses is, Look at my factory here. Everyone here needs to come into the office or come into the manufacturing plant to build a car. So why should the laptop class be different? So in his mind, it's morally wrong. It was interesting because the interview kind of pushed back. It's like, well, are you sure it's not just efficiency? He's like, no, no, it's, it's morally wrong. What was your take hearing that? I'd never heard the term the laptop class before. So yeah, it was, you know, I do realize that there are, I think we've said it over and over again on the show that there is maybe somewhere north of 60% of jobs can't be done remote. Yeah, they can't if you're in service work, food service, retail, majority of jobs in the entire world of work cannot be done remotely. To say that it is morally wrong it leaves me with this feeling like you're trying to get them against us. Do you know what I mean? Because I've worked from home now since 2014. I know you've always worked from home. Your location is irrelevant for the type of work you do. And so to make it sound like what we're doing is morally wrong is, I don't know, you're trying to incite a riot (laughs) inside his company. He does not want the perception of it's not fair. Yep. Maybe if he's only referring to Tesla and in the manufacturing environment, that is true because there's going to be a huge percentage of workers who have to be there physically to do the work. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's his choice when it comes to a, his own company, but to call yeah. something morally wrong is just really a far stretch. Digging in deeper, talking to people that are in trades, my brother was in town for the weekend, is something that I asked him. And he's a machinist, right? He needs to come yeah. in to work every day. And I did get a strong feeling of resentment against the people that really? work in the office that can work from home. There is this feeling definitely in people in trades or they're working in an environment that they can't work from home. I wouldn't say it's jealousy, but it's like, why can you do that? And I can't do it. Do you have the machines in your house? Do you have the capacity? Because all I need is a laptop. And to say, just because you have to, I have to, and in a lot of cases, maybe not as efficient. I don't think you can really say, hey, that's not fair. Well, maybe you should have chosen a different career path. Like the career path that I chose or fell into, it just happens 
that I can do the same job from home or at a work office and there's not a big difference in what I do. Yeah. So I get it from both sides, but it's a stretch here. It is. And there's another perspective. I was speaking to my dental hygienist about this. And what she said was the thought of being in an office, whether it was in my house or in a building downtown Calgary, that is something close to suffocation for me. I need to be working with my hands. I don't ever want a job where I sit in front of a computer all day. And I think that's probably more representative of the reason we chose to be in the type of work that we're in. If you love working with your hands, interacting with people, the last thing on earth you want to do is be in front of a computer screen all day. It's a nightmare for them. And I think for a lot of people, the thought of being tied to a desk all day is just like, how can you stand it? Oh, 100%. Talking about being tied to a desk, you sent me one of the coolest recruitment videos that I've ever seen. So this video is actually geared towards the Russian population that might be a little bit disaffected and they might not be happy with what's going on. How about we listen in to a clip from CNN explaining this commercial. Questions being asked in Russian in a new dramatic video by the CIA just released to try to recruit more Russian spies by appealing to Russians' patriotism, frustrations, and the oppression they face under the Putin regime. CIA officials told CNN in an exclusive interview that the war in Ukraine has created an unprecedented opportunity that they want to capitalize on, recruit new Russian assets. In the past year of the war, the CIA has been encouraging Russians with valuable information to contact them quietly, securely, and anonymously through a portal on the dark web. The CIA recruitment video was first posted Monday evening on Telegram, the social media app that is highly popular among Russians who can't easily access unfiltered news or other social media sites. It's pretty cool that the CIA is leveraging recruitment marketing. To be honest, there's a couple of careers that I wanted when I was young. One of them was to be a radio announcer. The second one was to be a spy. I really wanted to be James Bond. Like I have the look, I have the suaveness, the riz as the kids call it to be a spy. So I'm just hoping there's a video from the CIA trying to recruit Canadian disaffected people. Not that I'm disaffected, but I can pretend to be anything so I can be a spy. What was your thought on watching that video? I had no idea. I guess it's not new, but recruiting spies, when I read the article leading up to it, it made sense that this is a good opportunity for the CIA. Not every Russian is in support of this war. In fact, I directly know of someone who is Russian, whose family is all still in Russia. And she said to me, don't believe anything you hear in the news. I am telling you that we do not support this war. It would make sense to recruit and target people who are like, I've had enough of this. Doesn't it correlate to the corporate setting? Like you've been recruiting a long time and so have I, and I have taken bad news at my competitors as a target when I hear, Mm -hmm. oh, layoffs. Oh, I'm like, who? guess who I'm going to be calling or anything like that. That is bad news. Some uncertainty in the stock market, bad Mm -hmm. press. Yeah, those are my targets when it comes to recruiting. I guess the CIA is doing exactly what we've been doing in corporate recruitment and agency recruitment for a long time. So 
kudos to them. Yes, nicely branded video. Speaking of other things in the news, Mercer every year, they always put out surveys and reports. And you know me, I drudged through the Mercer 2023 report. Again, they're collecting data from 2022. And probably one of the busiest graphics department in the entire survey industry must be the folks at Mercer. But it's they're reporting 2022 data. So much changed. You know, mm. when you look at talent trends, they are publishing this now as their 2023 report. And it's it's outdated. What is the fascination that the corporate world has with Mercer? Do you think they have pictures of people naked or something? <laughs> Maybe. And it's expensive to be part of Mercer. Oh, it's extremely expensive. And I never realized how expensive it was until I got a Mercer rep to reach out and tried to sell me market information. And I'm like, oh, what's the cost? And the cost blew me away. And obviously, it was not in an organization that was big enough that could value it. But to your point, when you're looking at their data and what they ask, and in this survey, they're asking like, oh, what are employees looking for? And it's like 38% want inclusive benefits for all. I'm like, I don't even know what this means. A lot of these surveys, I think are 100% bullshit. Like, I really don't know if they even surveyed anyone. I think they're dealing with their clients and trying to figure out what they want to hear. And that's what the surveys are geared around. So they have materials to build a business case for whatever they want to do internally. I agree. That's it. It's being used internally to build business cases for getting your whatever it is on your agenda. Because they do survey 13,000 CEOs, HR leaders and managers. That's a pretty decent sample size. Yeah, that is a big size, but I don't know what it actually means. I do want to jump into some industry news and maybe some gossip a little bit. I think everyone's aware of Pendologic. So Pendologic is probably the biggest or second biggest programmatic job ad player out there. We've had several people from Pendologic over the years appear on the podcast, including their CEO, Terry Baker. I don't even know if it's public knowledge, but last week, Pendologic let go Terry Baker and cut around 50% of its staff. When I first heard it, I'm like, are they struggling here? Is it a different play? One of the big things that we heard last week was CareerBuilder laying off 60% of its staff, selling most of its international business across the world, and changing CEOs as well. One of the things that's interesting for me is Broadbean. I've known about Broadbean for a really long time, and it fits into career builders ecosystem. I am pretty sure they're looking to sell. There's something going on with Broadbean. You remember Broadbean, right? Job distribution platform, quite popular and especially I think with staffing. It was and is and any clients that I know that have it, it's less than fireworks. Anyways, that's just my commentary on Broadbean. I still think there's value in Broadbean and there's a lot of connection between programmatic and how Broadbean could work together. A lot of synergies there. I think Veritone, the company that owns Pandologic, is going to be buying Broadbean. I have no facts. I have no insights. I have no additional info. This is a prediction on my end. 
whoever the CEO or president is, is going to be the new CEO of the Pandologic Broadbean division of Veritone. Here you go for wild predictions. Okay. We'll have to earmark a follow-up on that and see what part of that is actually true. Don't anybody take that as gospel. <laughs> but I do know Pendologic did lay off 50% of his staff and Terry Baker is no longer the CEO. Yeah. So that is news. But as far as why, it is fun to speculate though, hey? Oh, when yeah. You start put, yeah. Putting the pieces together. Let's move into the tip of the week. Great Just quote. <laughs> Okay, the tip of the week. So, quote from ERE says, ChatGPT isn't going to take your job. Someone who masters ChatGPT is going to take your job. I tend to agree. I think ChatGPT is going to up the game of recruitment. Serge, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a great tip. It's like anything else, anyone is proficient in generative AI, so not chat GPT specifically, but it's a big piece of it, is going to have a massive advantage in the world of work moving forward. So if you are not learning or trying to figure out these tools now, as a recruiter, you're going to be in a top position. It really brought me to an episode that I listened recently of Recruiting Future with Matt Alder based in the UK. He had Ellen Billy from smart recruiters. And it was one of the most interesting episodes I've ever heard because she goes in depth on what her thoughts of the recruiterless recruitment division. So basically full recruitment divisions that don't have recruiters. So that they have prompt engineers, they have employment branding, they have recruitment marketing, but a lot of it is going to be done with technology. And her argument is I don't think candidates care. Like if the candidates get the interview, the job, and they're well-informed during the process, they don't really care if it's a human or not. It's a little bit aside from your tip, but I thought it was extremely interesting. And it should give us some drive to become very proficient in these tools that are becoming business critical tool. Recruitment will die in its current state unless we evolve with the business. I think you nailed it. Like, AI is not going to replace your job, but people that know how to use AI could replace your job. Good tip. Yes, thanks. So let's jump into some recruiting insights. I'm going to start with what do recruiters want? Not candidates, but recruiters, because there was a great survey that's going on right now. I would highly encourage anyone in our audience to go to Recruiting Brain Food and complete the survey so that we're going to have data that is going to represent us worldwide. I will say it is 17 pages (laughs) and you have to love surveys or you probably bail out when you look at the list and go, I'm only on page three. (laughs) Oh my God. But it goes by quick though. I thought it did. And it's obviously in things I'm really interested in. And I wanted to see the outcomes. There was a few things that I wanted us to talk about. Because the question asked was how many total hours would be reasonable in interviewing for a role that you're really interested in? So this is like the interview process. My answer to this was four hours. And this again, assumes it's a job I'm super interested in, right? And the survey results came back. And it did say the vast majority of people are 
willing to invest four to five hours in the interviewing process. How many hours for a job that you're seriously interested in? One that you're like, I want this job. Yeah, four to five hours is reasonable, right? You got to think about a couple of interviews, do your research. If I'm really into it, I'm going to do really in-depth research in the companies. I'm more leaning towards the higher end of that. So I'm leaning more towards time. the seven, eight for the right role. Again, there's tons of roles that maybe I get approached for that I don't have a lot of interest in. And maybe I'll dip my toe, but I'm not spending more than an hour to two hours unless it's a compelling role for me. So I'm actually surprised it's four or five hours. I thought it would be a little bit higher. You thought it'd be longer. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. The other one where the results affirmed what I was thinking is when asked about the type of role you would ideally be interested in. And the options were like a generalist recruiter role where you're like kind of a full 360 seat as a recruiter, or would you prefer to work in a super specialized role? Like I am the talent sourcer, or I am in charge of just employer brand. I think recruiters, the vast majority of us want the variety that comes with a full 360 desk, meaning not just the sourcing of candidates, but you're involved in stakeholder management, dealing with leaders, you own a part of employer brand, recruitment marketing. I love the fact that most recruiters are interested in having lots of variety, not just reading resumes and setting up interviews. Yeah, 51% were on that side. I look at it two ways. I think it is the most inefficient way to run a recruiting department, have generalists that are doing a little bit of everything. That's where things fall through the crack. As a department head, I much rather have very specialized people in specific roles, someone that's only focused on employment brand, someone that's just focused on sourcing. The recruiter is focused on both the candidate management, but also the hiring manager management. I can see why recruiters would. I just don't think it's the best way to run a recruitment department. I think if the question was more granular, meaning size of organization, because being a generalist in a small to medium-sized company is probably a pretty good gig. Yeah, not not big enough to warrant it. So this next one, I really loved. So if you as a recruiter had a magic wand, and your next job was going to provide you with the tools that you would actually be excited to use, the number one thing was a CRM. 42% said they would be excited to join a company that had a CRM followed, not surprisingly at all, was automation in interview scheduling, probably the most hated part of every recruiter's job. And that was a close second with a candidate feedback tool and a talent intelligence tool. Yeah. So CRM, and the first thing I thought when I saw this, it's got to be a ton of agency folks that filled out this survey, right? Because how many corporate recruiters have you talked to that want a CRM or even know what a CRM is. Not very. So I think this was really skewed by how many agency recruiters have filled out. That's my first initial thought. But for any organization, even in-house corporate recruitment, a CRM is a fantastic tool. So I'm hoping there's a bunch of in-house recruiters that answer that as well. 
because I think after the ATS, it's the most critical tool that we can leverage. And the automated interview scheduler, why don't we have that across the board now? I still don't get any organization that doesn't leverage this into the recruitment process because I'll tell you, it's the thing I hate the most about recruiting is scheduling the interviews. Oh, you're good at two? Oh, let me check with the hiring manager. Oh, he's not good that day. Like, fuck that shit. I don't want to be doing that. So if we can automate that, great. One of the things that was probably not very relevant or not talked about was a talent intelligence tool, giving you real insights in the market, how many people are out there, what are the skill sets that have been successful in this role. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that we should have in recruitment across the board. Big fan of that. Mm -hmm. One that was on the bottom of the list or mid of the list was an employee referral software. That one is fascinating to me because implementing employee referral programs and software, it's almost impossible to get adoption, especially if you're working, say, with a blue collar crew or people that are not in front of a computer. This is where employer referral programs and different softwares, they usually don't end up working because no one uses it. The adoption is really low on these. So true. Do you remember when we were at Unleash, I did talk to some vendors down there who had the idea that this is somehow a hot technology to get referrals and referral reward programs. When in fact, anyone who's worked on the other side of the desk knows that they fizzle out. That was interesting. This last section, I really wanted to highlight because it's something you've talked about how strongly you believe in having good tools and it's table stakes to have a decent applicant tracking system. Like it's a necessity. But what the question was is which ATS would be a deterrent for you if you found out that it was in use at a potential new employer. Not surprising, Workday was mentioned a lot. So is Taleo. Mm -hmm. But the second part of this question, Cert, is what I am dying to get your response to because they then went on to ask, would you refuse a job if you had to use this terrible applicant tracking system? And the survey said, vast majority, no. Even though it was a terrible ATS, they still would not refuse the job because of it. Comment, Serge. Yeah, I've been railing on this for a long time. Perspective. I'm coming maybe from a place of privilege that I have the option, right? In a lot of cases, when I'm looking Mm -hmm. for roles, I've had the option to reject or take a role We are in a very down market when it comes to recruiters. Yeah, we got to feed our babies. We got to feed ourselves. We got to have a house. I want to put that context, but you have a choice between two organizations of a system that you are going to use 90% of your day. And if it's a shitty system, you are going to hate your job because of that damn ATS that if they had chosen a better one, you'd be in a better position. You should research what ATS they have probably before applying for a job because you've gone through the process. I would ask, are you stuck on Workday? Can we enhance it? Can we at least add the plugin over top, like a Phenom or an Eightfold or anything that just makes the user interface and how you leverage the tool way better? But yes, Shelly, tools that you work in are absolutely critical. I am not surprised that 66% said it wouldn't be a consideration. 
And that could be also where we are in the market right now. It might be different two years ago when Recruiter was the most posted job in the world. Yes. Yeah, I think it is a reflection of the current market. I cannot imagine having to go to work every day and use a system like Taleo. (laughs) Honestly. Well, you've used some bad ones, right? Oh, yeah. I have. It does make your life way more difficult than it needs to be. Exactly. For sure. I want to jump into the next recruiting insight, and I'm a little bit on the fence with this one. So there's an article that's caught, I would say, widespread attention, and it's talking about the challenges of people looking for jobs now. So obviously, the economy is a little bit different, especially, say, you're in the tech space. There's a lot Mm -hmm. more competition out there. But Business Insider did an article where they interviewed potential job seekers, people that are frustrated because they got laid off. They thought they could find a job really easily because during the pandemic, if that happened, they did find a job really easily. And they're coming into a little bit of a different market. The article points out the challenges of being a job seeker right now. And the first thing they point out is the ghost jobs. How many of those jobs that are posted on Indeed, LinkedIn are real? And we have talked about this before. There's a fair amount of companies that post jobs that don't actually exist. And I've seen this before. I've had CEOs come to me and be like, post a job. We want to show that we are growing, even though we don't have an active role. We're just keeping roles open in case someone ever applies. That's a magical unicorn. It's all about perception. That's the first thing they talk about. And I think that's legitimate, but it might be a little bit overstated of how many ghost jobs are actually out there. I would probably say it's 5% of jobs that are posted on Indian LinkedIn. And I know staffing is notorious for this, right? Posting jobs just to create a pipeline of candidates. I think that's a little bit of a different story. But let's talk about ghost jobs first. What's your thoughts on that one? So I'm glad you pointed out the fact that you need to consider staffing agencies. Because in order to remain on side, a staffing agency has to have at least one open requisition with a client for that job in order to advertise it, if they're going to stay on side. And I'm not making excuses for the corporate world either. But I also know that jobs stay posted for months. And this is how it goes. Like you are so focused on filling this role. It took them forever to finally make a decision, get the person hired. And you're just like, I am just so glad to move on to work on something else. And you forget to close the job ad or the posting. And having run recruitment teams, if you're on top of it, you're always reporting on is how many open jobs you're working on. But I know it's a true fact that sometimes they just run ahead and they leave these jobs still posted and forgot to close them. That can account for some of it. Is it the big issue that this article is making it out to be. I don't think so. I really don't. I think it's such a small percentage. This article is basically trying to give a woo me story to job seekers that are having a hard time finding jobs. And I think that sounds a little bit insensitive. There's tons of companies failing in the recruitment process. I get that. But then they went to one, I guess, the story that we've been hearing for at least five to six years that AI is filtering out candidates and my resume never gets to the hiring manager. And we both know there is AI candidate matching, there is AI filtering, but it's to this day, 
very small, the percentage. I think outside of large corporations, it's almost non-existent that's happening. But they pointed out job platforms, including LinkedIn, ZipRecruiter, Indeed, and Monster, also use language processing AI tools to filter applicants. They took a quote from Ian Siegel, the CEO of ZipRecruiter. He told The Guardian last year that AI and algorithms process at least three quarters of all resumes submitted in the U.S. The dawn of robot recruiting has come and people just haven't caught up to realization yet. In my mind, I work at a job board, right? I've worked at Indeed. I know LinkedIn. I posted jobs on LinkedIn and I have never had when I posted a job on those platforms come back with the results of the candidates being screened out, filtered out, scored. I know Indeed will take the job description and reach out to potential candidates that could be a fit. And that is AI, right? But I'm Mr. or Mrs. Job Seeker and I apply for a job on Indeed. The hiring manager or the recruiter logging into the Indeed talent platform is seeing all the resumes that have applied if I have passed the screening questions, like, are you legally entitled to work in Canada? Do you have your CDL license? Those types of questions. That's not AI. So I'm a little bit confused. I don't think this is happening anywhere near the rate of where job seekers and career coaches and people that don't really know the industry think that AI is screening out candidate. I still don't see it. And neither do I. You and I live on LinkedIn. ZipRecruiter, I'm very familiar with. Indeed, I'm very familiar with. Monster? No, I have to admit. But I don't think Monster's technology has got any sort of AI. Was it not developed in the 90s? Like, Jesus Christ. And same thing with LinkedIn. LinkedIn has the worst fucking technology. What makes you think it's that smart? It's not. Does it maybe have an algorithm that looks for this word and matches it with that word? That's about the extent of it. Is it artificial outreach still? Not exactly. That is the whole foundation of ZipRecruiter is you put in your job posting. Yes, an algorithm or something reads the keywords. It presents you with snippets of somebody's resume and you just go, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Are you training artificial intelligence to find anything but word matches? No. And then I think we're at the dawn of it, right? I think we're going to be in a position that AI candidate matching is going to become more prevalent. But it's matching to reach out to them and invite them to apply. Well, I think we're going to see it the other way as well. Like when you're going to apply for a job and I've implemented this type of software in companies that work that gives me a score, like a matching score based on different things. And a lot of bigger players have some type of candidate matching that's AI. There's multiple levels of what AI can do. But the job boards that are listed here, I use them all or I know how they work in the back end. And I can tell you there's no such thing. It's not happening in the way that we think it's happening. It is coming and we will see that AI will be a big part of it, but it's not happening today. The flip side to it, Job seekers are making it hard for the overall market. When you see tools and Google extensions that you can apply for 120 jobs in a minute, like how good of quality is your application? And that creates a lot of friction on the recruitment side where you're getting hundreds of resumes for people that 
are just spamming. They're not matching the job. And I see it like 90% of the applicants are not even close to being qualified for the role they're applying to. Where's our responsibility in recruitment to respond to everyone? Like you've got one year experience in food manufacturing and you're applying for a data scientist working for NASA, like fuck off. What are you doing? I think the advice that people have been giving like these career coach and LinkedIn influencers being like hire for attitude and fuck that shit. If you can't do the job, don't apply for the job. I think it's lazy to say that anyone can do any job without any training experience. But anyways, I'll go off that road. I want to end on this article that I saw. And Uber has always been a very interesting company for me, probably because I love their, I think it was HBO, where the whole story of Uber, how it grew up and how much bad shit that happened there. Uber has suspended its head of diversity, equity, and inclusion after Black and Hispanic employees complained about the workplace events she moderated exploring the experience of white American women under the title, Don't Call Me Karen. She was suspended. It's been reported by New York Times. And I think there was a lot of internal discontent over those events. So colleagues being like insensitive to the challenge that minorities have had to deal with. And now we're having these events focus on white women saying, don't call me Karen. It created a lot of ire for a lot of people feeling that, hey, like, when did white women become part of this diversity, equity, and inclusion battle that we're in? I don't know. What was your thoughts reading it? I can't imagine who came up with this idea. When I read it, it was almost like, was it a joke? Was it meant to be tongue in cheek? I could not get my head around who in this role, a leadership role in DE&I, would think that this is a good idea. It is the height of being overly woke. I don't know. Like, How would you justify this? It's just, it's so absurd. Well, it, it kind of strikes me as the Bill Burr Saturday Night Likes sketch that he goes on when the woke movement came in and suddenly white women put themselves in front of everyone and be like, hey, we're here too. And he's like, sit down next to me and you take your beating as well because we've been in this together. So it kind of reminded me of that. So I don't know. Maybe she has a lot of friends that are upset that they're getting called Karens. Is Karen really an insult? Maybe I guess it is now. I know you get upset if I called you a Karen, right? You should. Because you're not. Yeah, I would. I would get very upset if somebody called me that. It is derogatory, no doubt. Looking at what was the point of this was to try and explain an American white woman's experience from some of their other female colleagues. Are we trying to empathize with why? someone is behaving incredibly ridiculous, the real thing should be taking a deep dive into mental health issues. Good point. But the title of the program and to deliver this to employees, call don't call me Karen. Oh my God. <laughs> Shelly, another yes. great episode. Always a pleasure to record with you. The week is almost over. And it's a Keep short week. It was a short week. We had Monday off. And by the way, when this airs on Friday, you know what day it is, right? This Friday? Your birthday? Yes. Again, this year, you sound surprised. You just said this last year and the year before. You should have told me it was your birthday. So I am expecting an expensive something sent to my house. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So no more excuses, Serge. It's on its way. It's on its way. Uh, yeah, yeah. I heard that before. All right. I'll believe it when well, it shows up. Have a happy birthday, Shelly. <laughs> Thank you, Serge. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.